0: How do you spend your private time? Let's just get real personal right off the bat. Here's what I mean, when you're alone, when there's nothing you have to do, what do you do? Where do your thoughts turn? You know, we live in a unique time where we almost never have to be alone in silence with our thoughts. At the very least, you know, you can turn on music or a podcast or TV. You can, uh, binge on Netflix. You can get lost in social media or glued to your phone. There's this new feature on my, on my iPhone called screen time, which accounts for, you know, how much time do you spend actually looking at the screen of your phone? And I got a notification the other day that my screen time was up 24% from the previous week. And that made me feel really uh, it was it was a convicting moment, like 24% more, and I started to try to account for my time. Why was I spending that much time on my phone? You see, here's here was the troubling thing for me, and I think for all of us. It's not just the threat of wasting time. That is an issue. I mean, life is very precious. It's ultimately very short. We shouldn't waste the time that we're given. But I think what's worse or what's deeper is the fact that what we do in our private time, in our private thoughts it says a lot about who we really are. It says a lot about the condition of my heart. It tells me what I'm really devoted to. It's a deeper issue than just time. It's an issue of the heart. And Jesus makes this point very powerfully for us in Matthew chapter six, when he talks about the issue of prayer. We're gonna talk about prayer today, but it's prayer not just as a As a bare fact that Christians ought to pray. We all know that's true. But it's how we pray. It's why we pray. It's the nature of prayer that Jesus wants to dig into. And it's an issue not just of something we do ritualistically as Christians. It's an issue of the heart. Okay. If you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at the first part of Matthew chapter six, where Jesus warns us very sternly about our motivations. The motivation behind the things we do for God he said beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them otherwise you have no reward with your father who's in heaven see God calls us to live for him to do good things for his glory but you and I we are constantly tempted to lower our sights to lower our eyes and do good religious things for the sake of being noticed of being approved by other people rather than doing those things truly and exclusively for God. And Jesus gave us some examples. We looked at them. He gave us the example of generous giving and fasting, two very good things, but that we can we can pervert those things with with a wrong motivation. Well, today he he gives us a third example, and probably the most the most well-known of the three he talks about prayer this is the issue of prayer and what motivates what drives how we pray look at with me at, at Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 Jesus speaks to us his disciples he says when you pray there's an assumption that those who follow Jesus will pray when you pray you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners So that they may be seen by men truly i say to you they have their reward in full but you when you pray go into your inner room close your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you hypocrites jesus says actors these are people who only really pray when someone else is watching. Isn't that the point he makes? They love to pray impressive prayers in public because they get to show off then how religious they are. Can I, can I just be honest to say that, that this is a temptation for me every single week? Because as a pastor, one of the things that I do and that, that is good and right for me to do is to lead public prayer, to lead us in prayer. But I have to constantly check my sinful heart in this because I know what I'm tempted to do. I'm tempted to try to use words and phrases and tone and cadence that I think might impress you. That you might think that I must be really spiritual. I must be really well connected to God. I must be a really good pastor because of the way I pray. And the question for me, sincerely, week by week, it becomes this. I mean, who... Who am I really praying to? What am I really praying for? Is it for God or is it for you? Now, maybe you're not like that. You don't do the big public prayer kind of stuff. You don't really pray in public. A lot of us don't. And so you might think that, well, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. I'm not like that. I don't stand on the street corners and try to draw attention to my prayers. But y'all, the the standard still applies here. I mean, and just think about it this way. Do you only really pray at mealtime when you're around the table with others? Do you only really pray when you're at church, when we all pray together, when we're supposed to pray? See, I, I, I think we can conclude from Jesus right here that if we only really pray when other people are around, we're not really praying. That's not to say that those prayers somehow don't count. But it is to say that listen, if you don't have a private prayer life, then you don't really have a prayer life. Not really and truly. because you're not praying in such a way that it, that, it, uh, that it dominates your private motivations that, that you that you can know for sure you're doing it for, for pure reasons, right? Other people are always watching and noticing how religious you are. How do I know my motivation motivation is pure unless I pray in the secret place? See, that's what Jesus is getting to here. That's why he says, get alone with God, go into your inner room, and close the door where there is no one to notice, there is no one to applaud, there is no one to impress. Go where nobody else can see you or hear you, no outside motivation, no distraction, that's where the heart of prayer is really revealed. That's where the cover comes off, and what my heart really looks like is seen, just between me and God. Okay, now I want you to hold on to that idea. Jesus is not done warning us yet, okay? before We're going to kind of come back to this idea of prayer in private and the secret place. But I want you to notice also, he gives us another warning, verse 7. He says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus, listen, the answer, according to Jesus, is not simply get alone and your prayers will count more. That somehow in private, that's the only that's the only distinction that needs to be made here. Get alone, no, because Jesus says, listen. Even if you are alone in the private place with the door closed, you can still pray in an empty way. He says, don't use meaningless repetition as the pagans do. Don't pray empty prayers. Now, what does he mean by that? I, I'll give you a. a a little example from my own life. When when I played ball at Mississippi State, we would, after every single workout, after every workout, we would get together as a team, put our hands in together, and we would say the Lord's Prayer. We'd recite the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. on And we'd say it quick, and we'd kind of say it in a muffled way. We were all sweaty. We were ready to get get out of there and go home. But that's just something we did. Very noble thing for a football team to do, right? But can I, I, now I can't speak for everybody else on the team. I can only speak for my own heart. Did I really mean in those moments, did I really mean what I was saying? Did I really mean, was I praying that prayer with integrity and sincerity? No. I was mouthing it. It was for me, honestly, it's just something we do. And so it was meaningless repetition. And y'all, that, that is not a prayer that God delights in. That is not just because I was saying the words. That's not somehow enough for God that He says, "Oh well, Kyle fulfilled the 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 checklist here. He said it out loud, therefore it somehow counts. It delights God. No, it's meaningless repetition." Jesus says, "Don't think you're going to be heard for your many words." See, this was this was the the, the model of pagan prayer. Pagans, the Gentiles, these are the people who uh, did not believe in. The, the, the God of the Bible. They believed in many gods, lowercase g gods. And they thought that all these different gods, they controlled the different parts of the universe. You know, some controlled the, the sea. Some controlled the crops. Others controlled love. You know, they, there's a God for everything. And so they would pray in such a way that they would try to account for all the gods and use the right words and formulas to make sure that the gods worked in their favor. How can I, in other words, how can I manipulate all the forces that are out there to work for me and for my good? And Jesus is clear right here that this is not how Christian prayer works. For one, there is only one true God, not many gods, but prayer is not a formula or some sort of tool that we can use to manipulate him. You can't manipulate God by using many words or certain kinds of words. In fact, Jesus says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He already knows what you need before you even open your mouth to begin with, before you use any words to express yourself. And so think about what if God knows what you already need before you ask Him, The point of prayer cannot be information. You're not opening your mouth to inform God of things He doesn't already know. He knows everything. The point of prayer cannot be coercion or manipulation. That we are simply using prayer to try to get from God things that we want. Jesus tells us very clearly, and then of course the point of prayer cannot be to impress We're not doing it to impress others, and we're not doing it to impress God. Your prayers, no matter how articulate, no matter how well, uh, you know, spoken, no matter how many fancy spiritual words we may use, your prayer will not impress God. Because God, Jesus says, God sees you in secret. He knows you down to the very bottom. There's nothing hidden from His sight. You can't impress Him, and neither can I. So what's the point of prayer then? I mean, what's prayer for? What are we accomplishing when we pray? Well, Jesus gives us an amazing insight here. He actually gives us a model prayer. One of the most famous parts of the entire Bible, look with me at verse nine, the Lord's Prayer. That's what we call it. Jesus says, pray then in this way. I've told you what not to do. Now here's, here's the model. Now this is not a prescription. You don't have to pray these exact words every time you pray, but it's a model. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Okay, so we could spend weeks on this prayer. And and one day we might. Um, But for today, we've got to walk through it quickly. We're going to take a big view of this prayer and not get too deep into the particulars. And then we're going to come back to the main point. Or what, to me, I think is the main point. Verse 9 is the main point. We're going to skip it for now and come back to it. What is Jesus telling us to pray? How to pray? Look at verse 10. We're supposed to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, and sometimes I forget this, that when we pray, when I pray, I'm praying to the God of the whole universe, the God who spoke everything into being, that everything exists because of his great power and love and majesty, and I think what we need to recognize is Jesus is saying you need to be bold enough in prayer to ask for things that actually reflect the majesty and the power of God. You shouldn't settle for praying every day, God, just help me get through this day. God, just help today be better than yesterday. Y'all, that's not a wrong thing to pray for. But that, that you know if we if that's all we ever really pray are we shortchanging God in terms of who he really is and what he's really capable of doing? G- Jesus says, we ought to pray. The first thing we actually ask in this case, God, bring your kingdom. Do your perfect will right down here on earth as you do it in heaven. Father, pour out your grace and justice and love and mercy and truth upon this dark and sick needy world we need you we we're meant to pray for all of God's will to be done which means we're meant to pray for the return of Christ God will you bring Jesus back to conquer all evil once and for all and to establish his eternal reign we ought to want that and we ought to pray for that we shouldn't be timid in praying for majestic things from God for big, powerful, wonderful things. That's the first thing Jesus tells us to ask for. But that's not all. That's not the extent of prayer. Look at what he says next. But also give us this day our daily bread. So we went from really, really, really big picture down to really small. This is a petition that God will carefully and lovingly meet our present needs. Right here and now. Y'all, in the time of Jesus, uh, most people were day laborers. You would work, and you would get paid at the end of every work day. There, you didn't get paid every two weeks or every month. You got paid at the end of the day for the work that you did that day. And typically, it wasn't enough of, of a of a wage to save any of it back. You typically got paid enough to support your family for the next day, to buy food and necessary things for the day okay and so when they pray give us this day our daily bread that is a sincere practical request now it's arrogant for me when I think that I don't really need to pray this part of the prayer I say it because it's part of the Lord's Prayer but do I really mean it because here's the truth about me and and for most of us I've got a little cushion y'all I've got a little money in savings I've got a pantry with food in it. I've got a a closet with clothes in it. And I don't feel, in any kind of real pressing kind of way, I don't feel a need for today my daily bread because I'm worried about what I'm going to do without it. And most of us are in that same boat. We don't live that way. We don't naturally think that way. And therefore, we're prone not to pray that way. But y'all, here's the truth. Nothing we have... Nothing we have, physically, tangibly, not even our own lives, are guaranteed to us. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Nothing that I have is ultimately mine in the first place. Everything is a gift from God. And so we have to pray and really believe that God must give me the grace today that I need for today. Because every single thing in my life depends on Him. The breath that I am breathing right now is a gift that I don't deserve, and God can take it away from me if He so chooses. I have no argument. It's all a gift. And if I don't pray, give us this day our daily bread with any sincerity, it's because frankly I don't think I need God today in that kind of desperate way. That's a, that, that's a small, seemingly a small request, but it's not because it, it displays a heart that really believes, I need God today. I need Him. And in the next part of the prayer, forgive us our debts or trespasses as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, would you continually grant me the forgiveness of sins that I need just as you also make me a forgiving person? You notice how Jesus squeezes these two things together. It is a noble thing to confess sin and ask God to forgive it. But it's a better thing to say, God, don't just give me an input valve for your forgiveness, but give me an output. Make me the kind of person who reflects your heart in my relationships. See, Jesus puts these things together with great intentionality that the forgiveness of God that you receive would rub off on your heart and make you the same kind of person. Forgive me, God, in such a way that it produces that heart, that I become a forgiving person. And we're gonna, we'll are gonna come back around to that in just a second. Last part of the prayer, Jesus says, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that's, that's a, that can be confusing. If you've ever been confused by this, is Jesus saying that God could lead us into temptation and we have to ask him not to? Y'all, the better rendering, and and maybe your Bible renders this a little better, is is to say this, and lead us, comma, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. Y'all, the scripture is clear. God does not tempt anyone with evil. God does not tempt. He will not lead you into temptation. That's, That's an impossibility, okay? So don't read this that way. God, would you lead us, we need you to lead us out of temptation and out of the the schemes of the evil one, deliver us from those things, because that's the natural order. You and I, we find temptation all on our own just fine. We don't need any help, right? We find ourselves locked in to the schemes of the enemy, of Satan, constantly. We're fighting a spiritual war, and oftentimes we don't feel like we're winning, and we need God to lead us out of that and into His good and perfect will. That's the prayer here. And then you notice verse 14. This is not part of the prayer, but Jesus adds it in with um, with a very clear intention here to connect the two. He says, because remember we prayed for our forgiveness as we forgive others, right? For, verse 14, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. This is a key issue here for how our for how what we pray is meant to touch real life. Okay, um, uh, one of the old theologians used to say, "Grace has to touch nature." All right. Think about this. Everything else we've prayed in the Lord's Prayer is in a sense we're kind of praying it vertically. God, would you do this? God, would you provide this? All right. But this issue of forgiveness becomes horizontal. It's not just vertical, what we receive from God, but it becomes, it touches reality now. It touches our, our actual human relationships. And I think the point here for Jesus is this. If you pray to a Heavenly Father to forgive your sins, you are praying for an undeserved grace. God is not obligated to be forgiving towards sinners. He chooses that grace He makes uh, us um, the object of his forgiveness. we don't deserve it. So Jesus says, if that undeserved grace does not change your heart and make you a forgiving person, then it basically nullifies the prayer. It's just empty words. You're praying for something, but you don't actually have any desire for that something to change you, which is the whole point. That forgiveness is not meant to be input only. It's meant to have an output. It's meant to change your heart, your life, your relationships. Jesus gives an amazing parable about this, one that, that most of us are familiar with, of a man who owed money to his king. It was an insurmountable debt, a debt the man could never pay. And he went before the king, and the king very graciously forgave the debt. He canceled the entire debt. He took the entire weight and burden off this man's shoulders. Well, the man walks out of the king's presence forgiven and free, and then he sees somebody on the street who owes him ten bucks, essentially. And he runs over to this man who owes him ten dollars, and he begins to choke him. Give me my money. Well, the king gets wind of this. He brings this man back into his presence. And he calls him unmerciful. You who had received mercy, you show no mercy. He reinstates the debt upon this man and he throws him into prison. And here's the bottom line of that parable. And I think the point that Jesus is making here in the Lord's Prayer. that Listen, this Lord's Prayer, if you truly pray it in faith, it's going to change your heart. It's not just words, it's going to change your life. If it is just words, if it is just meaningless repetition, if it is, if it's something that we just kind of treat as a formula, well, if I'll pray this way, then God is obligated to me. If we treat it like that, we forfeit all the things we're actually praying for. God takes no pleasure. He we think we're going to be heard simply for our words. if they're just words, then they they, they carry no power because we have not internalized them to where the God that we're praying to could actually bring transformation to our hearts. That's why this issue of forgiveness is tied in directly to the prayer. If it's just words, of course, then then we will not have a changed heart. And that's that's the whole point. Jesus is not concerned that we simply pray the right way. He wants us to pray with the right heart. Okay, And, y'all, that brings us back to our main point, This is the foundation. I'm going to tell you right now. This is the foundation for this prayer, but I think it's also the foundation for your whole life, and I really mean that. Look at verse 9, the main point right here. Jesus says, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first line of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Y'all, we don't uh, we don't use the word hallowed anymore. You probably haven't used that word, uh, you know, in conversation maybe ever. But it's such a heavy, meaningful word. I'm not sure that we have another English word that that is quite like it. And here's why: to hallow something means you set something apart as ultimate. Whatever you hallow is the thing that holds the highest place in your heart. It is the ultimate concern of your life, the most important thing in your life. And everyone has it. Everyone has something that they hallow. Whether you're a religious person or not, it doesn't make any difference. All of us, we all have something that gives our lives meaning and value and purpose. It gives us our sense of identity. We hallow something, and this, is, this right here is where I think Jesus' teaching on prayer becomes so powerful. Right here. Why does Jesus tell you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close the door behind you? Why does he tell us that? Is it simply so that we can get away from other people? I don't think that's all there is to it, as if if praying in public is itself a bad thing. It's not. Jesus prayed in public. The apostles prayed in public. That's not really the heart of the issue. Why does Jesus tell you to get alone with God? Because in the secret place, there's nothing that you have to do, there's nothing you have to think about, and in that secret place, that's where what you hallow really comes to light. That's where what you and I hallow really comes to the surface. And think about it in your own life right now. Okay, when, when you're alone, when there's nothing you have to do, there's nothing you have to think about, where do your thoughts turn? Where do your thoughts turn? Do you start daydreaming about money, or career, or romance, or pleasure of some kind? Do you, do you daydream about vacation? Or how can, I, you know, how can I escape the difficult circumstances of my life? Are you, is, that, is that what you think about? Do you go somewhere else in your mind? Do you think about how can I make my kids more successful? How can, I, how can I help my kids to be happier and better off? Do you think about oh, how someone else is living the life that you wish you were living? And in those private moments, you get swallowed up with envy. Do you spend your time thinking about wondering about what other people must be thinking about you? how you're being perceived. See, listen, all of us naturally turn our thoughts to, to something that we hallow, to something that we hold up as ultimate, that we feel like we just can't live without. And we all we all do this. It may, it may take different forms, but we begin to think, well, if I had money, if I had more money, or if I had a better career, or if I was higher up on the ladder in my job, or if I just had somebody to love me, then I'd be okay. Then I'd be okay. If my kids just turn out good, if my kids turn out great, then I'll be justified, then I'll have done something. If if I just had what he has, or if I had what she has, then I'd be happy. And maybe we spend so much time on Netflix, or on social media, or, or glued to our phones, because we're just trying to drown out that fleeting, empty feeling, knowing deep down that the things we hallow ultimately are hollow. Maybe we're just trying to use noise to drown out that reality that all the things I hallow, deep down I know that they are hollow, that I'll never actually have those things in their fullness. And even if I did, that they would ultimately disappoint me. And y'all listen, that's why we so desperately need to hear the words of Jesus right now. When He talks about the foundation of this prayer, which is the foundation for your life, He says, pray like this, Our Father who is in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Those are not just words. That is the cry of the human heart that says, You, my Heavenly Father, you are set apart in my life. You are my ultimate concern. You are my ultimate desire, my ultimate joy, my ultimate pursuit. God, it's you, it's nothing else. See, that's the heart of this prayer. That's the heart that Jesus desires for you and I to have in all of life that we look to God as ultimate and we allow nothing to compete with Him. We put nothing above Him. We do not try to serve any master apart from our Heavenly Father. And see, this is why when Jesus tells us how to pray, He doesn't just rush right into asking for things. There's nothing wrong with asking for things. God delights when we ask Him for things, right? But we have to recognize this truth. Why does Jesus tell us, first and foremost, that we look to God and we hallow His name? Because here's, here's the, the truth when it comes to prayer. There's nothing that you and I can ask for in prayer that God can give you that would be more precious than Him. I need to say that again. There's nothing you can, can get from God through prayer that's going to be better than God himself. He is the greatest treasure. He's the greatest gift. And a lot of those things I just mentioned, the things that we hallow, are not necessarily bad things. It's, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. There's nothing wrong with wanting a family or wanting your family to do well or anything else. Right? Those things are not bad, but they're not ultimate. They can't be ultimate. Jesus never treats them as the ultimate concern. Only God can be, is ultimate, right? He is by definition ultimate, but only God can sit in that hallowed place in your heart. Nothing else can, can sit there. Nothing else deserves to be there, and certainly nothing else can, can carry that weight, can bear that burden of being the ultimate concern of your life. That's why the foundation for this prayer and the foundation for our life is our adoration for God. What do we hallow? What do we hold up as the most important, significant, wondrous, joyful, delightful thing in our lives? Only if God has that place of adoration can we truly pray like Jesus tells us to pray, and it not just for us be words. Everything else comes up under Him. And so this, you know, this... It brings me back to this stinging question that I've been wrestling with this week um, about me when I'm alone, when I'm alone with my thoughts, when I'm alone with God. What is it that holds the hallowed place in my heart? What do I feel like I have to have in order to be fulfilled and happy, in order to be somebody? What is it that I'm terrified of losing? Something I do have, but if I lost it, my life would no longer have any meaning. And it causes me anxiety. Y'all, whatever it is, no matter how precious it may be, it cannot sit in the hallowed place. It just can't. Otherwise, when we pray, listen, we're going to pray and we're going to try to use God as a means to some other end. We're going to use God to try to get the hallowed thing that we need from Him or that we want or that we're trying to maintain or that we're scared to lose. We're going to use God as a middleman for something that we treasure more. And God does not hear us and delight in us when we treat anything as more ultimate than Him. Those prayers are just words. See, only when we look to God as our hallowed, Thing, our ultimate concern. Only then do we really learn how to pray and do we even learn why we should pray. Because everything else in the world naturally and rightfully comes up under Him. That's Jesus says that's when, you, when you'll know the true heart of prayer and that's when you'll know your own heart as to where you find yourself today. In the secret place In the secret place, that's where what we hallow really gets uncovered. It really comes to light. There's nobody else to impress. There's nobody else to watch and listen. It's just me and God. And He, right in those moments, will deal with my heart. Do I hallow Him? If I find myself in private and I never pray, I never pray when it's just me and God, that is a very clear indication that I don't hallow Him. He's not my ultimate concern. And Jesus wants to bring us to the heart, not just how to pray, but the heart of prayer. Can I close with this? Let me close by saying, um, all of us need help in this, tremendously we do, but I want to assure you that this kind of adoration for God, this is not something you can simply drum up within yourself. You can try harder, but you can't manufacture this within your own heart, okay? This is something that has to be given to you. In large part, it's something that's been purchased for us. Now, here's what I mean. You notice how Jesus, Jesus tells us how we are to refer to God in prayer. You notice what he says? The very first thing we're supposed to pray Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus does not say, Almighty God. Lord of hosts. Those are legitimate uh, names for God. That's not, that's not the name he calls us to use. He says, Father. Jesus tells you to pray and call God the same thing that Jesus called God. Now, how is that? That sinful human beings could have, in some sense, the same kind of relationship, the same kind of access to a holy God that the Son of God had, that we could call Him Father the same way Jesus does? Well, the Scripture tells us so clearly and so wonderfully that that itself is a gift. This is a gift. This kind of relationship, this kind of access, these kinds of pronouns, what we call God, that's a gift that's been given to us by Jesus Christ through His death and His resurrection. The, the, The Scripture says that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, We now have, by faith in Him, we have adoption as God's children. We're not just stamped and saved for heaven one future day. We have a relationship here and now that we otherwise could never have. We've been brought into the very family of God with all the intimacy, the preciousness, the beauty, the wonder, uh, the familiarity that we would be able to call Him Father. We have those things now, forever. Not because we earned them. Not because we said the right things in prayer and somehow stepped across the line. No, He came to us. He gave His life for us. And this is the gift that we now enjoy by faith. C.S. Lewis said, The Son of God became a man so that men could become sons of God. And therefore, Jesus says, You call Him Father. This is the same reason why the Apostle Paul, this is Galatians 4, Paul said, Because you are sons, meaning, Because you are Christians, because you've been made children of God, adopted into His family by faith, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because you are a Christian, God has sent His very Spirit into your heart, and His Spirit within you cries out, Abba, Father. Abba means Dad. It's the most intimate word they had for Father in their language. Abba, Daddy, Father, the Spirit within you cries that out. That's the kind of relationship we've been given. When we receive Christ, we become God's dear children, and therefore we can now speak to Him, we can approach Him as members of His own household. He is not some angry being out far away from us that we've got to pray to the right way in order to appease Him. He is a Father very near to us who loves us enough to send His Son as the sacrifice for our sins to give us life in His name. Y'all, what is there in this world worth hallowing more than a God who would love us enough to call us His own sons and daughters? It's not just how you pray. It's not just why you pray. It's the heart that desires to pray. Because what we've been given through, through Jesus Christ, a relationship with a Father who is in heaven, whose name is hallowed, He's more precious to us than any other concern in our lives. And therefore we delight to get alone with Him and pray. Now let's pray and ask him to give us more of this kind of heart because I know we all need it. Father God, would you grant us in these moments a repentant heart? None of us, I trust that this is true, none of us are the prayers that we ought to be. None of us pray as much as we should, and we probably don't pray with the kind of sincerity um, and desire That we should. We don't hallow your name the way you deserve. And for that, Lord, we we need your forgiveness. But Father, we, we also thank you and we pray in this moment, we thank you in this prayer that what we're talking about is not something that we're called to manufacture. That we can't we can't adore you in word only. Something has to be done within the heart of every person here. And Lord, what what has been done through Jesus Christ has set us up that we might live every day with this kind of hallowing of your name, this kind of adoration. We can live it every day because of what we've been given in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that when we consider you, when we come to you in prayer, when we sit in the quiet, the silent, the unseen places, and our minds tend to wander, or we want to fill our minds with noise and distraction, that we would be willing to stop in that moment and reflect on your grace and reflect on your grandeur, your majesty, just how wonderful you are and how much you love us, God. And that our hearts would be drawn to you, to hallow you, to spend time with you, that it would not for us be empty words, it would not be a a box to check off, that it would not be something we just do because it's the good and right thing to do, but that we would hallow your name in such a way that we just can't not pray, We have to pray because it's the most sincere, wonderful privilege we have. I need this, Father. I've got so far to go. Thank you for being patient with us. But Lord, call us to this place of devotion right now. And where there's competition within my heart, within our hearts, where there are things that we hallow equal to or even more than you, Father, would you you show us that that is not just futile, it's not just hurtful to us, it is sin. There is no place for it in the heart of those who are called your children. And Father, we pray that you would, that you would purge it away, that you would put it up under you where it belongs. And Father, that you would be our hallowed one, the, the most precious, delightful, joyful, desperate concern of our lives. Make us desperate for you in this way. And Lord, let it be for us such a joy a joy that we get to pray to you, that you incline your ear to listen. And Lord, that we can live every day with you as ultimate in our lives. And we will know no more fulfilling, wonderful thing than that, than to call you our Father and to come to you often. And so we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.